thank you, Lord God, that that is our hope. There is coming a day when we will weep no more. We will feast in the house of Zion. And we will look back on these days of trouble. And we will we'll be reminded of your faithfulness. And we'll, we'll understand more fully how present and powerful you were in those moments. God, let us now live in light of what's next. And to know, God, that where we are and where we're heading is in your hands. And we can trust you. We can believe. We can follow you. We know that you're working all for good. Thank you for this privilege and blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. We are we are in this year of talking about what's next, and that song for the last year has been such a huge blessing to me as, as I have listened to that hundreds of times, and it really was a part of the inspiration for this series, for this year, to really think through what's next, what's this restoration, what does it mean, are we living in light of what's next, and, and so that's what inspired a, a lot of what it is we're, we're walking through, and, and, uh, and I pray that that God is doing a, a renewed hope, uh, building hope in your, your life. I know He is in mine, and, and I, I've had a, a good week. Uh, several of the pastors and I were able to go to the Billy Graham um, training center there at the Cove this week, and we were under uh, Pastor Jim Henry. He was a pastor at Two Rivers down in Nashville for uh, a dozen years, and then he was at First Baptist Orlando for almost 29 years, and it was, it was such a joy to get to sit under his teaching and to be reminded what a privilege it is to get to be a pastor and to, to be a part of what God is doing from this vantage point, and I, I appreciated so much his stories. He, he told so many great stories of, of hardship, of, of victory, uh, and stories that were just, just funny. Uh, he, uh, he told a story about one of his associate pastors. Uh, his name was Bill. He's a friend of David's, and I thought, well, I can, I can certainly uh, empathize with having an associate pastor named Bill. They, they come in trouble, you know. That's what, uh, that's what they do. It's a gift. But this, uh, this pastor was in the lobby one day. He was waiting for a couple to come pick him up for lunch, and, and Jim was there, and he was waiting as well. He was about to go to lunch, and he was kind of to the side, and, and Bill didn't see him, and this couple, when they came in, they didn't see him. And the couple was kind of funny. They were kind of cool. But they were a lot of fun. You never knew what they, they might do or what they might say. And so they came in and they were they, they had a gift for Pastor Bill. And um, they wanted to show him, you know, that they appreciated him. And it was it was kind of unique. It was kind of funny. It was a letterman's jacket. You know, the letterman's jacket has kind of the leather, you know, on the arms. And you would typically put like a, a, a patch or your school's letter in the sport and then your name or, or whatever. And, and you know, uh, it had his title, which it was, you know, he's the associate pastor. But to save space, they only used the first three letters of associate pastor to celebrate him. So you can imagine his face as he's reading this and saying, oh, thank you. I will never wear this ever under any circumstances. <laughs> you know, they probably wonder, why doesn't Pastor Bill ever wear that jacket we got? What's going on here? But, you know, Jim said that he had to go outside. He just died laughing. They've had fun with that over the years. And, you know, that's what happens in life. You know, pastoral ministry is, is so much like life. There's so many things that happen. And this week, I was reminded of what a privilege it is for me to get to be in the long line of many pastors who have been faithful to teach and preach the Word of God and to lead people to live their lives according to the Word of God. And it made me just think of what a privilege it is to get to be your pastor, 
to get to be a part of this family of faith. And guys, I want to tell you, there's going to come a day when we're going to look back and say, remember living hope back in the 2010s. Remember what God was doing. Remember how we saw his hand. Remember the trial we went through. Remember those blessings. Remember those times we've got a family that's about to move away uh, in just a couple of months and they're grieving. And, and he said to me, you know, he said, I'm just, I'm so upset. He said, I just, I'm going to miss this church so much. And I just thought, well, of course you will. It's a glorious church. God's doing so many great things here. But I encouraged him to say, look, God's family is big. And God is at work all over the world. And no matter where you go, he will guide you and he will be with you. Because see, God is raising up a people for himself. And we get to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And all of our pain and, and, and all of our blessings and all the silly, funny stories and all the tragedies, all of these things, they, they, they end up making, they make our lives what they are. And these are the stories that we will tell in heaven one day. And we will be amongst the, the multitudes of those who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And we will sing praise to our God and we will remember how faithful he was. And we will, we will re- reflect on the fact that we were a part of a long line of people that God had called to be a part of his kingdom purpose. And we, we will remember how we were able to emulate and imitate their faith as they walked forward. And what we see in our text today is Paul speaking to the church at Thessalonica and encouraging them to be imitators of the faithful. To help them to realize that they are a part of something bigger than them. They are a part of some movement that has begun uh, with, with the coming of the kingdom of God. And they are privileged to be a part of, just as we are. And so, you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do. Take it out and turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 13 through 16, and Avery Pierce is going to come and read that for us. She's a sophomore at South Warren, and we're glad to have her today. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. And again, we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're working verse by verse in this series as we're talking about opportunities. And so now we've come to verse 13. So Avery, if you would read that for us. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is. The Word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. And this pleased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. The Word of God. Thank you, Avery. If you would be seated. It is helpful to be able to follow the example of others, but it is never right for us to live our lives completely on the subjective experience of others or that we have had an understand, in our understanding of God. We must understand that there is an objective reality that truly defines what is real and what is true, and that is the Word of God. Our subjective experience in no way can replace the Word of God. The Word of God is infallible, it is inerrant, it is powerful, it is true. It is God's Word. 
And here, let me help. We value. We value the Word of God. Here's, here's what we say. We believe in biblical authority. And what that means is this. We we are gladly submitting to Scripture in all things. Look, here at Living Hope, we know our mission is to live hopeful and be helpful and to lead more people to, to anchor their life in hope in Jesus. We're making disciples. That's what God has called us to do. That's the great commission. But we don't do that based merely upon our testimony or our experiences, although God uses those. We make disciples based upon the Word of God. And we gladly submit to the Word of God in all things pertaining to life and faith. It is the Word of God that has, that has led the faithful for millennia. And it is the Word of God that will lead us. And it will, and it will be the Word of God that will lead those who come behind us. And what we want them to say of us is what we can say of those who have gone before us is that this, they were faithful to the Word of God. They maintain the, the submissive spirit that said, I may not understand it all. I may not be able to speak of the greatest theological ideas that are presented therein, but we stood and believed the Word of God. This Word has power. And for all the faithful, this is the truth that, that, that is lived by. And so what we can see is, is the fact that we can trust the Word of God, and we should trust the Word of God. And there's, there's things that are going to happen to us as we do that. So take note of this. The faithful of God trust the Word of God, which, understand, is changing our hearts. The Word of God is not, it's not just a book. It's not dead print. The Word of God is living it is alive and it is active. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The Word of God is living and active. Because it is given by the Spirit of God and because the Spirit of God is alive, what we read is working. It's active. It's alive. It's giving life as only the Spirit of God can. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Understand, it's dangerous. Reading the Word of God is dangerous, and there is no wonder that our secular society does not want the Word of God written, read in school systems, because there is power in it. So no wonder that the, the lights blink when I start talking about the Word of God, is it? Anything to distract, right? But the Word of God is dangerous. It's like a two-edged sword piercing to division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This Word of God has a power, and it digs down deep. It gets beyond our thoughts. It gets down into our hearts. And there changes us. The Word of God is changing our, our hearts by, by, by being active and living. The Word of God is powerful that way. I love what it says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Look what the Word of God does. It's powerful. It teaches us. It trains us. It equips us. It provides us what we need in order to accomplish God's purpose. There are days when that Word will comfort you. There are days when that Word will convict you. There are days when that Word will lay you low, and there are days when that Word will lift you up. The Word of God has power. It is living and active, and it has a divine purpose. You know, one of the reasons why I preach the Word of God is because I want to see something happen every time I communicate. 
And I know that no matter what I do, how poorly I, I am, no matter how I deliver, if I remain true to the Word of God, here's what I know. Something's going to happen. It's amazing to me, every Sunday, I'll, I will preach my heart out, and I will mention something for 20 seconds that, that the text says, and I'll get like 50 emails, right? Oh, that Word of God. And I'll spend 30 minutes on what I've really prepared for, and you'll come pat me on my little bald head and say, you're getting better, we're praying for you. Keep trying, right? The Word of God has a purpose. Look, look what it says. This is my hope as a communicator of the Word of God. Look what it says in Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The Word of God has a purpose, every word of it. And so when we read the Word of God, we can know that God's purpose is being fulfilled in us. And that's what's so amazing about the Word of God, is that it applies to every single one of our lives in a unique way. And those of us who believe the Spirit of God gives us insight into what that Word means. Those uh, of us like the Thessalonians who received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a, the Word of men, but what is it? As what it really is, the Word. Word of God. And for those of us who believe, we have a special capacity to understand that Word of God. See, there are some, and this should, this, you should know this, you should be aware of this, and, and, and that way it, it will help you understand what's going on in the world. There are some who, who, no matter how much they study it, they won't understand the Word of God. Because, see, the Word of God is given by the Spirit of God. And there are certain parts of the Word of God that, that on face value, that you cannot, you cannot get until you have the Spirit of God in you. See, the Spirit of God is in every believer. The Spirit of God has written the Word of God. And when the Spirit of God at work in us is reading the living, active Word of God, which is given by the Spirit of God, there is something that happens that we understand. It, it, we, we see this, and it's talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is a very important verse. And it will help you understanding our secular world. It will help you understand, you know, why it is some are so adamant and opposed to the Word of God and, and, and don't read it the way the way it has been read in, in an orthodox fashion for millennia now. Understand, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And I want you to see this. Interpreting spiritual truths to who? To those who are spiritual, to those who are filled with the Spirit of God. There is a capacity for those who are filled with the Spirit of God to understand what the Spirit of God has written. And for those who do not have the Spirit of God, what, what about them? Go to the next section. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They see them from the perspective of their flesh. They see them from the perspective of their fallen life, from the sin from within them. There is a blindness. There is a darkness. But for those who have received this great light, we see the Word in the light. We see it in the power of the Holy Spirit. For they are falling to Him, and He is not able to understand them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. The Word of God is given by the Spirit of God who gives life to the children of God that we might be able to discern and know and live the Word of God given by the Spirit. 
and it changes us. It does something in us, to us, through us. It's at work. I love the way that finishes in verse 13. Look at that last section. Which is at, is at work in you believers. I want to challenge you here to stop working against God in your apathy. See, if God is at work in His Word, and He is, to not study His Word is to work against what He's doing. See, your apathy is keeping you from being being changed by the Word of God. And if you're not daily feeding your soul on the truth of God's Word, then, then you are working against the will of God. If you are not daily in the Word of God being transformed, I'm going to say this, and this is, this is strong, I know, but it's true. You're in sin. Because you are not walking in the Spirit. The Spirit is given so that we might discern and understand the Word. The Word is given. And not to be in the Word is to, is to work contrary to the will of God. You've got to, we've got to know the Word of God. And I know some of you I don't like to read. Take it up with God. He put it in print. And if you like to hear it written, get the ESPF. They'll read it out loud to you for slackers like me when I'm running. I like to listen to it, all right? Max is great. Max is playing great reader. Listen, there's no excuse for us. This Word of God has been given. And for those who are faithful uh, and they trust the Word of God, it's changing our hearts. Second, the faithful of God trust the Word of God, which is, understand, channeling our lives. See, we become a part of a stream of reality that is at work in the world. Like these Thessalonians, as we see in verse 14, for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. We are a part of this kingdom. We are a part. Oh, now I got them stirred up. Then I'm sorry, I got fired up. I just, that's what I, I either put them to sleep or I get them. I get them fired up. It's, you know, I, I, it's the word of God. It's, it's double pierced. That's what it does, right? Well. It, Understand that Scripture reveals that there are these two realities. There's the kingdom of light, there's the kingdom of darkness. And, and, and those, who are, those who repent and believe and are pursuing recovering God's design, we are, we are channeled into this kingdom of light. And we are saved from this kingdom of darkness. Now understand, we are born in this kingdom of darkness. And so there, there must be a change in our life that only happens through faith in Jesus Christ as we repent of our old way of life and submit to His living authority because He is not a dead religion. He is not a philosophy. He is the risen Christ. You know, in East Africa, and still today, but especially just a few years ago, there, there were tribal wars that were taking place. And there were these tribes that were once in long-standing peace that had been disrupted. And there's no doubt in my mind that it's the, the work of the devil. But there was this one tribe where there was a man who, who, was, who wanted to be the chief. And he was a usurper, and he decided to go against the chief. And, and it didn't work. It didn't happen. The people rejected his leadership. And the chief, in his grace, said, I will allow you and your family to stay. Typically, they would be put to death or at least out of the tribe. But, but this chief decided, no, I'm going to allow your family to stay. And this usurper had a son. 
and, and he was he was constantly a rival to the chief's son. There was constantly an attack that was going on there. The chief knew it, but, but he, he, he allowed it to happen for whatever reason. Well, this usurper found out there was an, another rebellion and there was a new dictator, and so he thought, finally, I can get power. So he went and he made a deal with this dictator. And he let him know where to attack and where and when to come into the tribes. And, and the promise was that he would be given the power that he wanted. So sure enough, it happened. And, and the, the king, they were able to get him away with a, with a, a, a secret uh, exit plan that they had, had, they had always contrived and had. But as he got up on the hill, he was able to look down and was able to see his son tied down. And um, the son of this man given a gun by that dictator, and he watched the son of this awful man kill his son, and he had to flee. And he found a place of safety, and then months later, the son of this man, this boy who killed his son, showed up. And she said, well, why are you here? What are you, what are you doing? And he said, well, that dictator killed my father. And he, he killed all the people. And he took all the children and he made us soldiers. And we, are, we, we were going to be forced to have to live under, under his rule. And I, I run away. Can I stay with you? He didn't admit what he did. He just asked to stay with the chief. And the chief said, you can. He took care of him, protected him, fed him. As the, as the months went on, it was coming almost to the year when his son was killed. He noticed that the boy was beginning to grieve, and there was a sadness, and there was a darkness about him. And one night, as they were having a meal, he said, I, I have to tell you something. i got to tell you what I did. He said, I killed your son. He said, that dictator gave me the gun, and it was either me or him, and I killed him. And I'm so sorry. He said, would you please forgive me? And that chief got up, and he put his arms around him. And he said, I've known this whole time what you did. But because now you have asked, I forgive you. And now you will take his place, and you will be my son, and you will be my heir, and I will raise you as my own. That is exactly what God has done for us. We are sons of the usurper. We killed Jesus. And I know someone says, I didn't kill Jesus. I wasn't there. Why did Jesus die? He died for the sins of the world, our sins. He died because of our sins. And yet the Father says to any who will repent and believe, you are now my son. You are now my heir. You are now channeled into a new way of life. We know the three circles. We know that, that God's design is that we live in harmony with God. But we know because of our treason, because of our sin, there's brokenness and pain. And here's the deal. If we will repent and believe the gospel, and what is the gospel? It's the good news that God took on flesh and died for our sins so we could be forgiven. That he has been raised and is alive. And because he's alive, look at this, we can recover and pursue God's design because he's alive in us. And that puts us in a new channel of life. We now live as children of God. 
we now have a Father who is sovereignly working in all things to fulfill our destiny for His glory and His purpose. Because of, of, of His kindness to us, He is channeling our lives, but we must understand that to choose to live this life is to choose to be enemies of the world. Write it down. The faithful of God trust the Word of God, which is challenging our world. He writes to the Thessalonians, For you suffered the same kinds of things your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. To be a part of God's family is to be countercultural. Remember what Jesus said. Remember this. This is John 15. Remember what Jesus said in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Understand that, that you are either going to be a friend of God and an enemy of the world, or you're going to be a friend of the world and an enemy of God. There is no neutral ground. And Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he says, you are now a friend of God, and you will be persecuted just like those who've gone before you. Persecuted but not crushed, as we sing. Perplexed but not abandoned, as we sing. You will go through pain and difficulty, but you know what's next. You know that we will feast in the house of Zion. We will, we will be with him and we will weep no more, but until that time, we will we will have to live by faith. And we will have to trust God. And we will have to know that He is sovereign. And we will have to make decisions in our lives, in our business lives, in our political choices, in the way we raise our kids and live in our marriages, in the way we, we are around our neighbors. We will choose to be those who anchor their life and hope in Jesus and lead others to do the same. We are the people who will consistently pray for and invite people to come to Easter service. Have you had anybody say, why in the world are y'all inviting everybody to Easter? People, someone actually asked me that. Can you believe that? Why in the world are you inviting everybody to Easter? Oh, I don't know. I guess I just want somebody to get saved. Excuse me. Good grief. That big old church. All y'all want to do is be a big. I, oh, I know. That's what we care about. Are you kidding me? How many are living in darkness that need this great light? Friends, invite them all. Our God's grace is sufficient. He can save from every sin. And He will for those who believe. And we get to be a part of this, knowing that God is at work. Please understand, in the end, God's Word conquers all. The Word of God conquers all. But wrath has come upon them at last. What does that mean? There are some who say, well, he was just referring specifically to uh, 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. He was talking about those individuals a lot. No, he wasn't. He's talking about what's next. I want you to help me read this. This is what's next. This is what the Word of God is going to do when He conquers all. And you'll see His name there, the Word of God, in just a moment. I want you to read the underlined portions. This is Revelation 19. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out. Read this. Hallelujah.
And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, read it out loud, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, read it, Praise our God. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, read it with me, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Read this out loud with me. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. This is Jesus. He has conquered sin with his blood. It is a blood-dipped robe that clothes the saints and makes us righteous. And he is the word of God. And he is coming again. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth, now, get this. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, a single word, and a word with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury, the wrath of God, of the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In a word, he made all that there is out of nothing. By his power, all things that are are sustained by him and for his glory. And in a single word, he will conquer his enemies and they will be crushed. Hear me. Only a fool would stand against the word of God. Only a fool would refuse to come under the authority of the word of God. Only a fool. Don't be a fool. Write this down. The wise choice is to join the countercultural movement of Jesus. How do you do that? You kiss the sun, lest he become angry. You kiss him by faith. You receive his forgiveness. You receive his authority over your life, and you trust him. Look what it says in Psalm two. Psalm 2, this is a messianic psalm written hundreds of years before Jesus. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Are you taking refuge in the grace of God through faith in Christ alone? If not, please understand, you are living and will be judged as an enemy of God. And you are being foolish. I want to beg you today to take refuge in His grace. 
to come and stand or get on your knees and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I repent. I admit I've sinned. Take over my life. I want you to be in charge. And some of you who claim to be Christians, listen, you need to give yourself to the Word of God. You need to commit yourself to share His love. And here's what I also know. Some of you need miracles today. You need a miracle in your life. Don't, don't you dare stand there and not come and ask this gracious God who loves you to do this miracle. Come and ask Him. Come and ask Him. Let's stand together. Father, we thank You for Your grace. And now we can, we can sing Your praise. We can now reflect on this truth and, and we can call out to You. Lord, I know some today who need to come and they need to call out to You and ask You to take over their life and to forgive them. I know there's some today who need to recommit to You and say, Lord, I want to be a man of Your Word. I want to be a mother, a woman of Your Word, a daughter, a friend who, who walks in the Word. Who, who is helping others by living hopeful and leading them to anchor their life in hope in you. Father God, there's some who need your hand today. They need a miracle in their marriage or in the life of someone they care about. They need you to supernaturally intervene. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you that we can thank you. Thank you that we can celebrate you. And we celebrate you in song now. And we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.